Well, hello there, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Dark Hells Radio. We've claimed this frequency in the name of a morally questionable. And boy, you're in for one hell of a show. <laughs> He's the maker of dreams and the master of nightmares. Get ready to be spellbound by the magnificent Gusto! And prepare to sell your soul to the death-defying, woke-supplying, feminist-agendizing, the Jersey Daredevil! Oh, and don't call it a comeback, cause she will key your car. It's Miss Petty Dreadful! And me? I'm the fly in the ointment, the chaos in the system, the one that stirs the pot so all the good stuff bubbles up. I'm- Oh, shut! Up, vaudevillain! Oh. As the sun sets over the autumn leaves and a cold wind blows through the twisting shadows. The chill down your spine reminds you that All Hallows Eve draws near and you are not alone. What terrors lurk in the dark corners of your hometown? What ghosts travel the back roads and forest highways outside your home? This evening, Dark Hills Radio invites you to explore three frightening folktales as told by some of our most fiendish friends. The baby's plaintive mewling scratched the inky darkness of the lonely deserted road as the figure stumbled through it. It did not rush. No, nor was it frantic. It seemed to sing song through the night, as if it were the notes of some sweet and simple melody. There was peace here, cocooned and embracing the pitched blackness of the path she had chosen. Behind her lay her mistakes, the mistake, the one which could not be forgiven, would not be forgotten. Behind her lay the fear, the anxiety, the constant judgments and criticisms and pressures and comments and whispers and stares and the thinly veiled contempt and the even less veiled pity and the oh you poor dears and the well I could have told you's and the the sing-song of her steps stuttered abruptly and she gripped the bundle in her arms tighter but she would fix it gripping the bundle still tighter she would fix it she stared down the moonless roadway, blind but not unseeing. There would be no more of that up ahead. 
and she squeezed the little bundle even tighter. The baby's shrill distress pierced her thoughts. She was holding it too tightly. Another mistake. But she was tired, and it wouldn't stop crying. She was so tired. She hadn't slept. Because it wouldn't stop crying. Why wouldn't it stop crying? It hated her, just like everyone else. How could it not? She was always making mistakes. She was always failing. And it wouldn't stop crying. She blinked down at the scrunched and wailing face, barely visible in the swaddle of blankets, barely seeing it through a haze of frustrated tears. Her baby. Her beautiful little baby. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. She cooed to it, comfortingly. Nearly there. Nearly there. And the baby's shrieking quieted back to mournful whimpers. She saw the looming rectangular framework of the truss bridge begin to take shape in the darkness. It would all be over soon. Hushabye, don't you cry, go to sleep, my little baby, when you wake, we shall have cake, and all the pretty So this is based on Crybaby Bridge in Maryland. It's uh, specifically Governor's Bridge is the the one I'm specifically looking at in Maryland because Maryland actually has a couple that apparently are referenced. In this story, there's a teenage mother. Uh, She's unwed in the 50s and 60s. It kind of changes depending on who tells the story. And she jumps from the bridge herself and her infant child in kind of a, a desperate move. Legend has it that if you stand in the middle of the bridge at night, you can hear the the wailing of her baby. I picked this story in particular because in college, I went to college in Baltimore, we went looking for this particular bridge, along with the goat man, who is tangentially related, but a legend for another day. And uh, there's something kind of atmospherically creepy about a bridge at night anyways. There's kind of that, you know, you have the anxiety and fear of heights, a pitched black unknown of night. You can't necessarily see what's beneath you. You hear the how, you know, the wind and the water and, I don't know, it's just oddly primordial. And then I also picked it because I like, I feel like it showcases what I love the most about folklore. When I was researching the background of this, what I found out was that almost every state has a crybaby bridge. Some states have multiple crybaby bridges. And much like folklore is kind of a illustration of our cultural and communal identity. And it goes into our hopes, our fears, our sins and shames as a society. All of these crybaby bridge stories contain certain themes. All had something to do with something horrific happening to a child or a baby, you know, that horror of victimized innocence. They also all included an element of a woman trapped, either figuratively by desperation and desperate circumstances like the unwed mother, by mental illness or postpartum depression, or even literal in terms of an abusive marriage and trying to escape and then something horrible happening to her and her kids. 
just kind of like a lot of themes that I thought were interesting, especially when you look at what folklore means. So upon listening to it, my first thought was that it reminded me a lot of like the classic, please correct me if I'm saying this wrong because I'm super white, La Llorona story. The, the woman who drowns her children for some reason and then spends the rest of eternity searching for them. Or I remember there was an episode of Supernatural about a white lady, which is the exact same thing. For some reason, a woman has lost her children and then spends her time like searching for them. In Supernatural, she also has sex with you, which was weird, but that just might've been a teen show thing. But that's immediately what came to mind is this sort of weird universal like mothers and children in a bad situation leading to their death. Also, listening to the radio drama, I didn't get that she jumped in as well at the end. I thought she just dropped her baby. I left it kind of open-ended because of all of the different interpretations. In the particular version of the one I chose, the Governor's Bridge story, they both jump in. There are also... I think Ohio and Kentucky both have ones where mothers would drop sick, deformed, unwanted babies off of the bridge. I think Virginia has something similar. Maryland's other story is a little different and has a whole different element to it that I didn't touch upon in my story, but that goes into escaped slaves would jump with their children when cornered. Wow. So that's a whole different, and that is actually delves into an interesting idea of there are a number of bridges that have that same story, either because they are potentially true, or it could be something that spread through the internet. And that's where it gets into that whole idea of all these bridges popped up with sometimes similar stories. And is it the idea of folklore versus, I think they called it fake lore, which is through the internet, you hear these stories, you pick a bridge that looks scary, and you're like, I'm now dubbing that this bridge. But So one of the things I find um, interesting about this whole thing is this kind of ideology about the, the grieving mother and the mother who kind of in either postpartum nightmare or some sort of other existential dread of some sort winds up literally taking her child's life and taking her own. And it is, it's a pervasive uh, folklore all over the country. I was so interested when I was doing my research and realized that there's so many of these bridges. And I think that that is, it, it goes so beautifully to me with the whole idea of, and I hate to say it, of the three crones, because at the end of the day, a, a woman really is so often kind of lumped into that thing of either you're the mother or you're the the maiden. And I think what, I've, what I'm compelled to with this stuff, and even La Llorona, which to be fair, I don't think they did a great job with the movie, but I will say that it's a really good, this kind of idea that a woman would be punished for killing her children by having to kill more children is fascinating because it's almost like that's the big sin, right? That's the problem here. So it's the same thing with postpartum issues. So many women struggle and we always are just drawn to the, a mother killed her children. And maybe you guys can help me here because what I'm trying to grasp at is this idea that so much of like fairy tale and folklore about mothers is tethered to their treatment of their children. I feel like, because that's all we are, right? We're the caretaker. I love that you pointed that out primarily because that's one of the reasons why I chose the tack I took with the story was rather than, all of these stories seem to be linked to the how horrifying is it that a mother would kill their children. And looking at it now from the lens of modern day, we understand so much more about mental health. We understand so much more about the absolute bananas that is postpartum depression and giving birth and all of these things. So it's, it's not necessarily, it is a horrifying tale, but it's also a tragic tale. It's a story of 
a woman trapped by something as desperation, mental illness, societal judgments, and feeling that there's no other outlet. With, with La Llorona, the version that I'd always heard is um, she killed her children in this terrible fit and she's taking other children not because she's like damned to kill them, but because she's like searching for the children that she lost. So it's like going with that whole tragedy of like a mistake you made, which kind of leads back to maybe just the social stigma of having children in general, you know, are they a blessing that you chose or a mistake that you made? You know, it's a whole societal unwanted thing. Yeah, that's definitely true and an interesting thing. I think it also, like, tethering it back to the idea of the maternal. What we know about moms in in folklore and in fairy tales and all this is they're either absent, they're crazy and frail, or they're murderers. And it's like, that's our destiny. And I think, Joey, to get to your point, I think it can tether to, to both the maternal and the paternal once you become the mother, capital M, and the father, capital F. That becomes your consuming identity. And yeah, Mary, you're right. It's like, it's more, so much more tragic than the knee-jerk reaction to it often ever is. And to me, the victimization and, and just the, the sadness of these, it, these stories, it's what makes those bridges so creepy for me. My favorite thing, actually, kind of overarching for all of the stories that we're telling tonight is this, this, this parent situation. Because all of our stories focus on basically bad, I, I don't want to say like bad parents, but like, this is what happens when you screw up as a parent. You know, you, it's either society has shunned you for some reason or shames you. For all intents and purposes, giving birth is the most natural thing that a woman can do. And in the crybaby bridge story, it's like you're being punished for doing what your body naturally can do. I don't want to say wants to do because not everybody wants to do, but what your body can naturally do. And it, it is, to me, I agree with Joey. It's, it's, it's the curse of going last that like everything that Mary said, yes. And everything that Joey said, also yes. And Barissa, absolutely yes. So, but to me, I tied it back to original sin. You know, the whole thing is, it's, it's all our fault, basically. You know, we, we exist. And I find it very amusing that we didn't necessarily know all the stories that each other was choosing, but they all ended up with this theme of, some sort of a parental morality story. The other thing is, look at how fucking patriarchal even our folklores are. Like, if I could put my feminist hat on for just a minute, we all were given the assignment to choose folklore. And all three stories consist of women getting fucked over, villainized, killed, and fucking generally fucked by the world. And, and there's no accident there, you guys. It's because the patriarchy is our society. So of course our folklore and our scary stories that revolve around women are mothers getting screwed, mothers doing terrible things, or mothers coming back to get you. I just, I think it's such a beautiful statement on society. But I'll take my feminist hat off now and get back to my Dark Hills hat. <laughs> oh, no, let's keep that shit on because you're absolutely right. The history of the world is that if you're a woman, you are either uh, Mary or you're the whore. You know, that's it. And often you're both. Men covet women. They want that innocence, the girl next door, even nowadays, innocent girl ruined. And then as soon as they have you, as soon as you have become their property, you are spoiled. You have had a child. You are an undesirable. 
One of the interesting perspectives, like I said, bringing that up was how a lot of what we talk about as folklore and folktales can glorify what's good about a society, but a whole host of them and the kind I think all of us as fans of scary stories and the horror genre are drawn to are the kind that mourn and illuminate the suffering and pain in society. And so you're going to find, especially with folktales, an oral tradition that goes back and it's going to show generational differences in how women and men are treated and how, you know, racial relations have gone. It's going to really delve into those issues. And I think that's always kind of interesting. I especially think it's interesting because it shows that if that's where the legend started was back in the 15s, you know, 50s and 60s, even earlier, some of these go back to the 1800s. They were aware of how horrifying and dark and, and how they were aware of their shame. They were aware this wasn't right. See what I'm saying? That's why it kind of took root. That's why it became something so unsettling and what people use to scare their children at night is because they were aware this was something trapping people. And I just think that's interesting that that's how they dealt with it was through the, you know, teaching that moral and value tradition through stories without necessarily operationalizing it through politics for years. But you can see it. You can see it, uh, you know, throughout all of it. I think you can see that for all of these from you know, as you said, the various stories that we go through, it all has a political, sociological root to it that shows that even back then people knew this wasn't right. There is something horrifying this that's horrifying about this that's beyond just the obvious. So not to, uh, before we move on to the next one, uh, not to be like the guy in, in uh, Mallrats who asks if the uncle uh, came to a conclusion, but did you hear any crying or anything weird on the bridge or no? No, I did not. <laughs> that said, it was an incredibly creepy feeling to be on the bridge. I also never saw the goat man. Story for another day, but that was the bigger disappointment that evening was that we never got to see the goat man. <laughs> Man. Talk about losing the baby with the bathwater! <laughs> Our next story is a folk fairy tale told in grim fashion. In Germany, there was a man who lived in the forest with his beautiful family, his beautiful wife, and his two beloved children. But still, he was not content. So one night, he went out walking in the forests under the light of the full moon. And after a while, he came upon a beautiful maiden, and they walked together, and they spoke, and he fell madly in love with this maiden, and she fell madly in love with him. And in a clearing in the woods, under the light of the moon, they made love. But afterwards, he was filled with a deep sadness, for he realized he could not be with this young maiden. He had a family, he had children that he had to tend to. But he looked up into the face of the full moon, and feeling full with his sadness, he wished that there was some way he could be with this beautiful maiden. Alas, the two had to part ways, the maiden going her way, 
and the man heading back home. However, as he neared his home, he began to hear screams, terrible screams, the screams of his children. He ran home to find his door broken inward and his wife, her throat ripped open, lying on the floor. His children torn limb from limb and standing over their bodies was a great wolf. A greater wolf than he had ever seen in his life. Its muzzle stained red with their blood. He prepared himself to fight and avenge his family. When the wolf strode forward and changed, shedding its pelt and turning into the beautiful woman, his wish had been fulfilled. So this folklore or tale is interesting because I didn't hear it. Uh, in grade school, whenever I'd go to the library, I would get out all the folklore books. Because for some reason, like every grade school I ever went to had a shit ton. And it'd be like witches and the folktales of the highways and byways of America and German folktales. And it was all the same. It, it, would, it was like stories about vampires and werewolves. I don't know, maybe it's a Pennsylvania thing, maybe it's a Quaker thing, whatever. The grade schools I went to had a lot of these books. And I remember there was this one book that was all about werewolves and it scared the shit out of me because it had a lot of weird stuff. Like you can become a werewolf by drawing a circle in the dirt and stepping inside and calling Satan, shit like that. But um, it had this one story, which it said was an earlier version of Red Riding Hood, but I don't believe it is at all. I, I'm not even sure if it's an actual folktale or if the guy writing this book was just like, this seems like a folktale. Anyway, this just always stuck with me because when I read it in grade school, it was shocking. Like, it was like, oh, that's interesting. Oh, hot girl. Oh, okay. You're doing that in the woods. Sure, sure. And then, oh, my God. It was the hot girl all along. You know, it was like watching a good, uh, watching a good scary movie, frankly. Um, so that's why it still sticks with me. When I think of werewolf legends, you know, it's like the howling and American werewolf in London and Little Red Riding Hood and this weird fucking tale that has burned itself into my brain. Um, so, so... It could be argued, because Marissa, you brought up earlier, that there are some Freudian implications to this story. And there totally is. But I read it when I was a kid, so maybe not. Wow, there's a lot. I don't, I don't know where to start when we're unpacking this. But here's my first and most important question, Joey. Does he live happily ever after with the wolf lady? That's my first question, because that's really going to affect my... So, Joey, I'm not saying you made this up, but I'm also saying I couldn't find this shit anywhere. <laughs> I didn't either. I didn't know where to look. Like, it's a story from a book that I read in sixth grade. That's as far back as I can remember. As for the title of the book, 
I don't know. So yeah, I, if you believe I made this up, cool, because I think it's a pretty good story. Those fucking, fuck you, Pennsylvania libraries. They'll, they'll ban Harry Potter and Lord of the Flies, but they'll let you read this shit? What the well, clearly, because this had a lot of, like, Christian traditions to it. I mean, the dangers of extramarital sex. You should never go into the woods and have sex, kids, because guess what? Chances are they're going to be a werewolf that kills your family. <laughs> yeah, werewolf homewreckers, man. Werewolf homewreckers. That's the movie right there. They're crazy, but they're worth it. Sex is great. Very primal. <laughs> uh, um, to, to answer your question, I mean, it doesn't say, or at least I don't remember if it says, in my mind, no, he does not live happily ever after. In my mind, it's a careful what you wish for story. He, like, he doesn't come home, find his kids and wife dead and be like, great, this is exactly what I wanted. You know, it's... It's more like a wishmaster deal, I feel like. Ah, okay. So there's there's a there's a grim fair there's like a theme here. See yeah. when I listened, I was like, huh. All's well that ends well, I guess. No, that that was that was me. I was like, oh now he gets to like have his like wolf girlfriend and you know, problem solved. Maybe a little messy, but you know, what's done is done. I feel yeah, like he I has like a hot new wife. Story wrong then. I might yeah. have put some inflections in places I didn't mean to. More importantly, Liz, you are not a burden. Do not murder me. Um, turns out it's the Jersey Ghouls who need the psychoanalysis after all. Who knew? <laughs> well, who knew? <laughs> no, I will say I thought it was deliberately left open-ended, partly because what I found interesting about the story was a lot of werewolf traditions are something about skinwalkers, people that shapeshift, people that are not what they seem on the surface. And I liked the fact that there are two in this story. The husband, who has a wife and a family and idyllic life, but then just goes off and seeks comfort elsewhere and almost runs away on his family, but can't, because I guess that's really not, you know, it's not kosher, goes back to his house. And also the woman he falls in love with, who has a literal wolf, also a murderer. So you're kind of going, there's this interesting theory of kind of the masks people wear and how there's a literal mask and kind of that psychological mask. Well, that was interesting. It ties into, there's a lot of like Northern folklore about uh, Selkies, which are, you know, basically wear seals. They're beautiful women who will sometimes be lured on land by men to make babies and the men never let them go. So there is a weird, like, tradition of where women who are hot. Um, but often the men are the bad guys in those stories. Like this one. I believe the overall the guy is the bad guy in this story. Definitely. Oh, 100%. Also the chick that just murdered a man's wife and children, if she did it purposely and not as, again, I know if it would say he made a wish and she was cursed, became an animal and just happened to kill them then she's a victim. If she chose to kill them, not a victim, still kind of complicit in some pretty horrible shit. But we could read into that. Like Marissa was saying, the woman is once again the bad guy. The man wishes it, but the woman does it. It's his mistress that ruins the family, not his intentions, you know? Well, fair, and the man is definitely a bad guy. I'm not saying yeah. he's not. I'm just saying not the the only bad guy. That I still say that taking a decision to kill someone's wife and kids even if you are in love, dial it back a little bit, sweetheart. <laughs> you said Selkies, and instantly I was like, aren't those the bad guys from Dark Crystal? Skepsis. 
Skeksis. I knew it was that. I was like, that's, and I just started, because I knew, like, I thought it, and then I knew it was wrong, but then I'm just seeing those things, like, in your story, like, doing it with, like, the huntsman. I don't know. Like, my brain went to a weird place. Sorry. Mm. <laughs> my favorite part of this whole conversation now is the image of a Skeksis doing it with the huntsman. You know, in the woods. <laughs> Who, by the way, looks like Chris Hemsworth for some reason. Oh, yeah, no. And of course they have like, they have like fake boobs. Like they they want to be a girl, you know, so yeah. they got the boobs, and, they and got the wig, wig. And they yeah. got really on point red lipstick. Yes. But okay. they still have all like the spinities and all, yeah. you know. That works. And he thinks that they're enjoying it because they just keep going, hmm. <laughs> you know. So <laughs> oh, I just done. physically cringed. <laughs> That's scarier than any story. <laughs> I can't be trusted. New, new folktale. I'm going to mute. <laughs> the I one can't. night stand that goes, mm. <laughs> <laughs> And then kills your whole family. Because that's what you really want deep down. It's just, it's just like a little wish fulfillment. It's like I brought you this gift. Yes. <laughs> well, I mean, and there is a lot to be said for that, right? I mean, Freud and, and a lot of, of philosophers, a lot of, uh, you know, psychologists have said that marriage is like basically this thing that binds us into misery, right? And, and whether or not you agree with that um, is neither here nor there. But in this story, it almost, I call, again, I call patriarchal bullshit because it's like, oh, poor sweet baby angel. He had a wife and she was looking a little frumpy after had, popping out his babies. And like he ran off into the woods and fucking Shakira was waiting for him. So, I mean, I think at the end of the day, I, I take issue with so much of the anti-feminist ideology that we all surround ourselves with in this folklore, but I'm also intrigued for the, the, the she-wolf, if you will, because I think at the end of the day, if there's anybody I'm going to root for now that the poor innocent wife and kids are dead, it's her, right? I hope that in this story, she rips his fucking throat off next and then I'm here for it, you know? So like in my head, that's where I went with it. And I was like, hmm, maybe she's like writing his wrongs, you know, like in all ways and that's okay. And as far as like the concept of like, you know, monogamy and being with one person and everything, I mean, I, I think it's, it's complicated, right? But at the end of the day, we subscribe to these norms because they make us feel better about ourselves. And, and whether or not we deep down feel trapped, I think is a whole nother conversation. But I think this story kind of plays to that, like makes you take pause and go, well, wait, do I secretly wish I could wander off into the woods and have dirty sex with a uh, wolf? My answer, mayhaps, mayhaps. <laughs> Yeah, like, I don't know. Like, I think we all have that secret little, like, well, you know, that little wishmaster within us. Um, and I don't think that's anything that necessarily is against human nature. Well, and, and I like that it is open to interpretation because I definitely took it in, like, the, you know, yeah, there was a period of, like, shock. But at the end of the day, you know, he basically gets a wolf with, like, pearls in a circle skirt and like cool in a pie on the window still like he gets the best of both worlds because you know he gets his the, he, he you said in the story they see each other and they instantly fall in love like there's there's passion there right away it's not one-sided it's not like she you know she didn't lure him in they saw each other and they were like wow like it was intensity intensities and they went at it and I mean, yeah, it's always at the end, you know, it's always after the fact that the cheater is like, oh, this was probably wrong and I feel guilty. It's never during. It's always after, of course. I'm, that's just my naivete that I'm like, well, you know what? On some level, they lived happily ever after. Oh, yeah. No, see, I'm like, fuck that motherfucker. <laughs> I mean, if, if Cosmo has taught me anything, if he cheats with you, he'll cheat on you, sweetheart. And it's <laughs> be a bigger, badder wolf next time. No, I think at this point, he'd be afraid. 
You see what happens. I think he would be afraid to wander again. I think I any man that is described as having an idyllic life with a beautiful wife and two beautiful children and everything you could want and is still not content, so he runs off in the middle of the night and bangs the first chick he meets in the woods, is not going to have common rational sense when it comes to his future. <laughs> And you know what else, too? Like, I think it is the part, what rubbed me the, the worst was that he was like, oh, I fell in love with her. Like, fuck you. It's one thing if you went out and banged a chick. It's another thing if you come home and say, and now I'm madly in love with her. Like, fuck off. Like, I, I just, yeah, he, you're, I like the story, Joey, but he, your, your protagonist really rubbed me the wrong way. <laughs> I think somewhere in here, though, more than anything, there is a possible plot for uh, Teen Wolf 3. Too bad for the wife and kids brings a whole new meaning to the term trial separation. <laughs> for our final frightful folktale, the Jersey Ghouls take us deep into the Pine Barrens of South Jersey and invite you to meet the Jersey Devil. In the Pine Barrens of New Jersey, during the 18th century, a woman with many children named Mother Leeds found herself to be with child again. Looking at the faces of her 12 children around her, she looked to the sky and yelled, This 13th child is a curse! May it be the devil! Months later, on a dark and stormy summer night, the screams of Mother Leeds' labor pains were heard throughout the woods. When the child was born, everything seemed normal at first. But after a crack of thunder and the flash of lightning, the child began to transform. From his back, leathery wings began to unfold. A long tail appeared. Hair began to cover the child and the once pink and chubby feet morphed into hard, cloven hooves. Mother Leeds got her wish. The child was put in the root cellar and fed only scraps of food. Kept in the dark, away from the family, the child plotted. One evening, Father Leeds opened the cellar door to throw food in when the child took flight and flew past him, screeching and causing havoc in the home. One of the other children opened the front door to escape the chaos. In doing so, the thirteenth child, the Leeds Devil, the Jersey Devil, was freed from his captors and unleashed upon the world. Never staying too far from home, the Jersey Devil is said to still haunt the Pine Barrens to this very day. So, with Marissa and I both being from New Jersey, me being from South Jersey, Marissa being from North, we actually grew up with two different versions, not super different, but two different versions. So the version that you just heard is the story that I grew up with in South Jersey. 
Um, Marissa, you want to touch on the differences with your, the, the origin story that you always heard growing up? Yeah, so mine, mine, of course, the geography was different. And this, of course, just makes sense because North Jersey and South Jersey might as well be two separate states. But um, of course, for us, it took place like right smack in the middle, like Jackson, New Jersey, for those of us who aren't Jersey familiar, is kind of like right there smack in the middle, best known for having six flags. But when I grew up, that was the Pine Barrens. That was where the Jersey Devil lived. Besides the geographical difference, I think the other big difference here is definitely in how the story like unfolds in typical North Jersey fashion. My side of the story is much gorier in that he eats his family, his mom, and everything else. And then he goes on to consume anybody and everybody he can find. So I thought it was curious that, like, your version was a little more forgiving towards, like, mother leads and the rest of the family. Well, so I think part of that in my folklore, or, like, not folklore, but, like, that in my origin story comes from the fact that the few books that I have read about the jersey devil is that he eats uh you know dogs cows sheep goats there have been no reports uh i guess outside of your origin story there have been no reports of him eating people and attacking people he might scare people but there have been no accounts of him killing a human being oh I don't know where your sources are coming from, but in the weekly world, Dum Dum in North Jersey, we, we had like a million versus, like she's holding up literal books. <laughs> no, yeah, Jackie definitely, Jackie has more real sources. But what's most important is my great uncle Joe, who liked to go to Seaside and eat his gabagool. He used to tell me that his, he had a friend who had a friend who got eaten by the Jersey Devil. And that was enough for me, you guys. <laughs> That's all I needed. It seems pretty credible. Yeah. It adds up. Especially the mention of the gabagool. <laughs> no, I, so looking, the only other cool thing looking at the history of the story that I was always told was that one of the big things that was always instilled in me was that A, Mother Leeds literally had sex with the devil to make the, the Jersey Devil, which of course was appropriate to, sm- to tell small children back in the 80s. Because it was, the story was her husband got killed, which is true. Daniel, Daniel Leeds really did get murdered um, by his townsfolk. Um, Jackie's like, this is all bullshit. You're pulling, like, I call bullshit on this. That's okay. I like my North Jersey fairy tales. Um, she goes out into the woods. She's bored. She's lonely. She ain't got, she, she's not like the wolf who has guys just showing up to bang her. So she asks the devil to be her company for the evening. Um, and in doing so, she accidentally creates her 13th child, who is, of course, Jimmy Leeds, who is, of course, the Jersey Devil. And boy, was I surprised when I came to South Jersey, there was an entire uh, road named after Jimmy Leeds because I was like, huh, maybe Jackie was right all along. But either way, um, I think it's interesting the difference between like the woman who just has this abomination of a baby versus the woman who is a witch and has sex with the devil to have a baby. Because it really changes it for me personally. (laughs) As a non-Jerseyan, I looked up the historical basis for all of this and like the people involved so i don't want to i'm gonna let you guys talk about the jersey folklore because i never really heard the jersey devil not growing up in jersey so i don't want to touch on that but i do have the historical thing that i thought was in. as a philadelphia boy or a suburbs of philadelphia boy um what i find most interesting is that i never really heard any stories about the jersey devil growing up but Everybody I knew, like I had a bunch of friends in junior high and high school who went to Jersey and there was always a story about the Pine Barrens, you know, like something very like 
The one I always heard was that just a bunch of crazy fucking hicks lived in the Pine Barrens. And if your car broke down in the middle of the Pine Barrens, you'd get fucking murdered, you know? Um, but, and I, I, I looked it up and there's actually a shit ton of local legend just about the Pine Barrens. Like, people just really don't like that place. There's fucking pirate ghosts, other ghosts, um, good ghosts, African-American ghosts, black dogs, white stags, something called a blue hole. I've heard you should never Google that without safe search on. Well, listen, our blue holes in New Jersey are none of your business, Philadelphia. I just find it very interesting. And of course, one of the first like local weird, weird New Jersey was the first weird thing I remember like mm-hmm. going to the library getting that book and you'd take tours of New Jersey like me and my friends would drive across into New Jersey and we'd be like where are we gonna go today we're gonna go to Clinton Road Ooh, maybe we're gonna check out that place where all the uh I don't know there was always like crazy Satanist midgets living in an abandoned town you know yeah it's near brick yeah and don't <laughs> around with them because they are not they don't have a sense of humor about visitors the other thing too joey is just out of curiosity when you came into new jersey did you drive really slow in the left lane i'm just wondering for a friend because i wasn't a driver i wasn't a driver thank you very much i tell you what i tell you what uh i do do though i'm not gonna i'm not gonna go there because i don't want to get beat up i don't want to get beat up it's okay it's all right i know how to pump my own gas let's let's move on Differences of story aside, um, the fact that we have this uh, cryptoid, is that, the, is that the term, cryptoid? Mm-hmm. Um, I love that we have that. Um, I mean, so much so that the New Jersey hockey team has that as their mascot. I mean, they suck, but no. <laughs> I'm just going to say that legend has it that if you, like I said, if you leave a nice pot of gravy with meatballs and a granuli, out on your front porch. If you live close enough to the Pine Barrens, the Jersey Devil will come out and eat them and leave you a present. I'm gonna respond, and if you leave a pot of meatballs and gravy, and I'm not even gonna try and pronounce it in the accent, but cannoli, I'm gonna come visit you. <laughs> I just wanna say how much, like of all the cryptids in the world, I love the image of the Jersey Devil because it's insane. If all you just Google it and the picture, someone was like, what if it was a, a, a very genial, like it's a very happy smiling horse with long ass legs and some wings. And <laughs> that's, that's the cool thing about it is when you look, um, there, there are so many different pictures and like descriptions. Cause there is the general, you know, it's got like the horse head, the cloven feet, it's got a tail. Sometimes it has a snake body. Sometimes it doesn't. So, you know, it often has wings. Um, there are many, many, there, there's this one image of him and he's got like, like kind of like a long skinny mustache for some reason. I don't know. He's got like the head of a carp and he's got kind of like the little 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 antenna thingies on his face. I don't know. There's one uh my cousin Joey growing up had a poster of the Jersey Devil and it's one of my favorite cuz he's actually like in a little tailored suit. <laughs> I don't know why, but he's like got this giant head and he's like in this little tailored suit and it scared me so much. I mean, in 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 both of the books that I have there's a chapter that's like the Jersey devil in Gippstown, which is the town I grew up in. And there's the area, I can tell you exactly where it is. It's near the tennis courts right behind the grade school that like, if you were playing tennis and you hit the ball out of the fenced area into the woods, 
that ball's gone forever because no one's going to go back there because that's the area where the Jersey Devil was seen. And I mean, now granted, that was back in the 50s when that happened. And I'm a little kid in the 90s. And we were still like, fuck those woods. That's where the Jersey Devil once was. He probably is still there. We're not dealing with it. And I think that's interesting. It was one of the things I did look up that I thought was interesting was the kind of Jersey Devil hysteria they talked about in January of 1909 with the fact that they literally had eyewitness account sightings of like the Jersey Devil attacking a trolley car at one point, I think. Sightings of like him, like or the Jersey Devil on roofs and animal attacks. And they had like mills shutting down because people didn't want to leave their homes out of fear. You had schools that were closing because of low attendance and just kind of there was this period of a few weeks where there was just mass hysteria about it and then from there it kind of died down although it never really went away there's still these these eyewitness accounts of the jersey devil which kind of add a little bit of realistic like something had to you would think something has to be tied to that something had to have caused a bunch of people to think they'd seen it but it reminds you a little bit of like the mothman it reminds you a little bit of these like periods of time where these strange creatures are being seen and you're kind of going huh i wonder what that was or what that was about well, it was the fucking Jersey Devil. I don't know what you'd think they saw, but... I also like the uh, historical tie-in where all of this could be the fault of Benjamin Franklin because he was pissy that somebody else wrote an almanac. <laughs> well, that is actually the best part about what I researched on the the realistic or the historical basis of Daniel Leeds and the fact that he was just some Christian occultist that, like... Mm-hmm. Started an almanac. His son Titan Leeds, they said, was the one that got in the feud with Benjamin Franklin. And all Benjamin Franklin did was predict he was going to die using astrology to poke fun at him, I guess. And then, like, they went in this back and forth. And basically, Benjamin Franklin started a rumor that they essentially no, like, no well-bred gentleman would treat me this poorly. So he must be possessed by a, a demon, or he must be the ghost of Titan Leeds or something. And started this whole. And because he'd already had, I guess his father had soured relationships with the, the Quakers in the state, mm-hmm. yeah. they thought it was all like kind of, and interestingly enough, he pointed out the look of the Jersey Devil on the Titan Leeds in the Almanac did the crest with the Wyverns. It had three Wyverns on it. And because it was such an odd looking dragon-like creature, it's very similar to what the Jersey Devil looked like. So they think that may have been historically where all these ties came in. Hmm. You guys, I don't think the stories that I was told about the Jersey Devil hold, hold up to compare to everybody else's. I, I did hear that if you leave, like, meatballs and gravy on your porch, Benjamin Franklin may come and fight you. <laughs> that's what I heard. That might just be because I'm from, from out of state, but that's what I heard. <laughs> you put on a fake French accent and smoke a cigarette, he'll do more than just come over, man. You know, <laughs> Franklin loved his French horse. Like, Marissa, I think you also had a little bit of a different twist to the Jersey Devil story, I thought, where it was um, not just that she had had sex with the devil, but that she might have had, like, the, like, the whole mysterious stranger idea or something, and the idea of maybe it was a devil, but it was a woman that had been kind of tricked into sex with a, you know, a weird stranger that they thought might have been the devil, or was that... So, I don't know, Jackie, I, I don't know if your, your version ever said that. Mine was always, like, she knew what she was getting into. Yeah, no, you know what? It's not that there's 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 a ton of different versions for for there for as many like drawings and depictions of the Jersey Devil. There's that many origin and lore stories. Like there's just you know what can you blame something on? And it becomes well, the result was the Jersey Devil. You know, she had an affair. There was a child out of wedlock. The child was deformed, or Ben Franklin got shitty. There there's a million different 
versions of how this this devil came to be. I also love that it's not like the devil. It isn't Satan. It isn't Lucifer. Right. It's our own personal state demon. Yeah, it's the state bird. I've been yeah. I've been trying to make that the state bird for years now. Nobody wants to listen. And and Jackie, you're definitely the resident expert. So if you had to stake your claim, like give us like the definitive like this is where he is if you're coming to Jersey and you want to visit him. Or do you think it's it's your hometown? Is that like where No, my my hometown was a was a spot in the tour, but it's not it's certainly not, you know, he we where I grew up um not far from the Pine Barrens, but like, it's a little bit of a hike, you know, like that's where, you know, my uncles would go hunting in the Pine Barrens. And there was always a certain point where it was like, okay, it's like four o'clock. It's going to get dark soon. We can't be here after dark because A, the Pineys, but B, the Jersey Devil. So it's that distrust of rural, rural America, really, you know, especially places where there are trees, you know, it goes all the way back to Fucking Puritans, don't go in the woods when it's dark. That's where the devil is, man. That's where the devil's dancing with his naked women. He's going to young Goodman Brown your ass. Like, don't go in the woods. There's um, just this very strange geography in New Jersey, at least. And I don't know what how it is in North Jersey. But in South Jersey, it's like you're driving down the highway, highway and there's like trees on, other so- on either side. But then at some point, you're driving down the highway and then there's like dirt on either side of the paved road and then like the trees kind of keep getting farther back from the road and then suddenly your paved highway becomes a dirt road and then you know we joke about pencil tucky but there are areas of jersey tucky that like are beyond explanation like i don't understand when you cross county lines suddenly we're like you know a hundred years ago and down south i don't understand the mystery of new jersey all right. Um, any other closing thoughts, remarks from anybody? Did you guys want to fade out to spooky music and discussions about meatballs? <laughs> or, or, or do we want the Godfather theme? Should we go, you know? Now I, Gusto, your ghoulish Halloween host, must bid you adieu. I'm having a few friends for supper, and I still need to cook them. <laughs> Happy Halloween! It's a spicy meatball.